Welcome to The Truth Simply Put, the teaching broadcast vehicle of the Basilea Commission. On today's teaching by Alexander Victor, God's Word rightly divided in the light of Christ, who is the central theme of the entire scriptures, will come with simplicity, precision, clarity, and power to instruct, admonish, edify, and build you up into the full measure of the stature of Christ. Now, let's dive straight in. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. In Spirit and Truth, lessons from John 4. I showed you guys last week that Jesus is having this conversation with the Samaritan woman and then she seems to clock that he's a prophet. Yeah. So this woman, by the well, Samaritan, is having a conversation with Jesus who, who appears to be dying. And Jesus is telling her that if you know the gift of God and who is talking to you, it'll be you asking him for living water. And then that whole thing passes. Go bring your husband. I have none. You've said the truth. You have five. The six is not your husband. Oh, I perceive your prophet. I, I, I believe that he, the Messiah, the Christ will come. You at least you are a prophet, too. and then she she switches the conversation entirely. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. Now this mountain is referring to Mount Gerizim, right? Shechem is where Sikar is in Samaria. Samaria is present in Nablus in, in Palestine, right there next to the West Bank. And the woman is standing there. She's telling Jesus. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. Remember that? This mountain. We refer to Mount Gerizim. So Shechem or Sikar is in a valley or a pass between two major mountains. Those two major mountains are like the highest mountains in the region of Samaria. Those mountains are Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. You've heard of that word before in the Bible? Genesis 33, Joshua, Deuteronomy, you see, we'll look at it later. Of Ebal, two mountains, very imposing, and then there is a pass in between them, or you know, what you call a valley. So Shechem or Sikar lies in the pass between Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. They chose to worship on Mount Gerizim because when they were moving into the land, it was Canaanite land, remember when they were coming in, uh, God told them. I think in Deuteronomy 27, Deuteronomy 27, 11, somewhere there, or something, God told them to place the blessing on Mount Gerizim and place the curse on Mount Ebal. So when it was time to choose where to worship, I mean, where would you choose? <laughs> 12, right? Okay, let's see 11. Okay, and Moses commanded the people on the same day saying, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. When you have crossed over the Jordan. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. Uh-huh. Go on. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal to curse. The tribes of Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulon, Dan, and Naphtali. The blessing of over Israel. And these were the blessings of obedience. As the next chapter, 28. Deuteronomy 28 and 1. You know, Muslims will leave scriptures in isolation. Deuteronomy 28 and 1. 
Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the words of the Lord your God, observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you, that the Lord will set you high above all nations. Now this, these 12 verses of Deuteronomy 28 are happening on Mount Gerizim. And it's been addressed to all of Israel. Right? The remaining 50-something verses, of course. And don't... <laughs> Only 12 verses of a blessing. And there's over four dozens of curses. The curses have been released over the people of Mount Ebal. Deuteronomy 28:13. It will make you the head and not the tail, you shall be above only and not beneath. Go on. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and be careful to observe them. Next verse. So you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day to the right or to the left to go after other gods to serve them, but it shall come to pass. Now, this is the other six tribes on Mount Ebal. If you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I commanded today, that all these causes will come upon you and overtake you. One, cost shall you be in the city. One, two, cost shall you be in the country. And he just keep going, cost shall be, and cost shall be. And at the end of the tribute 28, and all the people shall say, so the setting for the tribute 28 is on two mountains. Mentioned in chapter 27. Mount Gerizim released the blessing. Mount Ebal released the curse. Upon the same people, two mountains. You know when we tell you all the time that scripture is one narrative. And I understand how crazy it sounds, but there's too much indisputable proof. That scripture is one story. It's not coincidental that in Genesis 22, God will tell Abraham to take his son, his only son, Isaac, whom he loves. A.K.A. his only beloved son. And God will tell Abraham to take his only son when Isaac was the second born. Ishmael being the first born. And God will tell a man that already has a son that is 17 years older than his other son. There's no way Abraham will forget that the son that broke his barrenness was Ishmael. It's not the kind of thing someone in Abraham's shoes would forget. The one that made him a father at, a, at 90, 80, 83 years old. God will say to him in Genesis 22, take your son, your only son whom you love. Your only beloved son. And go and kill him to me. That's why I told you the price for your sin was not paid to Satan. Go and kill him. And I will delight in it. And they get up. And they set on a journey. And the journey brings them to a mountain. To a mountain that rejected the sacrifice. Because he was not pure enough. So God provides a ram. So you can see that. What does ram signify? Obstinacy. Rebellion. 
compared to sheep. He says the Lord has provided a ram in the thicket. A ram in the thicket. In the thorns. A ram in the thorns. A ram. For he made him who knew no sin to become sin. That he was won a crown of thorns. Thorns and thistles that were answered to man in Genesis 3 because man sinned. And so the ram typifying sin is caught in the thicket, in the thorns. That sin might become exceedingly sinful. He gave a ram and not the lamb. Isaac couldn't be the lamb. He was from Isaac himself. That was second born. Was from the first born. He was from the first Adam. The first man. So even though Isaac was the preferred son, he was only the preferred son as a type. He was still not a worthy sacrifice. So Isaac's blood could not have been spilled. And 4,000 years later, on the same mountain, the son of promise was led up there to be crucified. And this time around, it pleased God to bruise him. And then Paul will come later in Galatians 4 and then contrast mountains. And then call Ishmael a mountain. Call him Mount Sinai. And then call Isaac a mountain and call him Mount Zion. And then the writer of Hebrews will come again and contrast again in chapter 12. And said, you have not come to. You have come to. So this woman stands there and there's two mountains. She's like, yeah, you know. We worship on this mountain. I said all this to explain to you this mountain. Just so you have perspective. When she said, our fathers worshipped on this mountain and then jesus it appears to changes the conversation but i showed you last week that jesus stared it back to what he was when we took time to also correct that notion of the father seeking such to worship that was good right you said there was not a single true worshiper in the earth in the time of jesus speaking that was a lot and then when I came to Jesus saying, those who will worship the Father will worship him in spirit. And in truth. And I'm still trying to unpack in spirit. I'll try a little bit more today. Have you noticed in that text, John 4, 19 through 24, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. Now you understand this mountain. They were literally standing by a well in a town beside a mountain. Sandwiched between two mountains, actually. So this mountain would have been literally half pointing in one direction or the other. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. Please pay attention. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. 
<laughs> and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. So what is the bone of contention here? What? Location of worship. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. You Jews say it is on in Jerusalem that we ought to worship. Basically, what she said was a statement that was a question. More or less an unasked question. I have a conundrum. We, our fathers have always worshipped on this mountain. And the reason why they worship on this mountain is because the blessing was commended from this mountain. So this is the mountain of blessing. You all show up and are now in a later venue. A venue that came later. Solomon's temple came after David conquered the Jebusites, built, took over Jebus, raised it to the ground and built Jerusalem, the city of David, in which Solomon built the temple. Which by the time that Israel was speaking would have been their third temple, third version of the temple. It was destroyed. Herod built it again. So yeah, yeah, second or third version. So what is her problem? Location of worship. Are we together? Let's continue. Jesus said to her, what is her problem, please, church? Not mode of worship. Her problem wasn't even who to worship. It was inferred. It's God we're talking about. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, 21, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you do not what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit in truth. So Jesus introduces worship in spirit and in truth in contrast to worshipping in the location of Mount Gerizim and the location of the temple in Jerusalem. Because that's our problem. Which place is acceptable to worship God? Where can we meet God? Our fathers always came up this mountain to meet him. You Jews insist it's Jerusalem. And that was their pain as Samaritans because every year they would have this influx of Jews coming from Galilee. Going to Jerusalem for all the feasts passing through Samaria or bypassing it as the case may be just to get to Jerusalem and worship the same God when the blessing was released on Mount Gerizim when God lives on this mountain our forefathers dedicated this mountain and, and I'm, I'm trying to stay in my lane and just teach the word but you know sometimes you have to correct certain things that exist so when you hear things like especially in our country you know, there's this mountain that was dedicated by this man of God so what you're inferring is that God is 
obligated to answer you on a particular mountain because a particular man of God dedicated that particular mountain to God. So basically what you're doing is invoking the power of the covenant of a man of God with God in a location. Does that make sense? You know, many times I try to just teach. But then you must call out error for what it is. You, 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 have to, you, can't, you can't present truth and that truth not highlights error. And we can't teach these things without calling things for what they are. So God, a man, covenants in a place. And, and where have they borrowed that from? From types and shadows like Jacob. At Bethel. Like Hagar. At the well, like Roy, Genesis 16. You know, pockets. Like Isaac. Rehoboth. But that is an incomplete understanding of scripture. But that's what we're up against now with this woman. This mountain. You said Jerusalem. Clarify this once and for all. I perceive a prophet. And Jesus says, it's not Jerusalem. And it's not the mountain. Jesus says. So Jesus says, the time is coming. I will remove worship from location. What she honestly was expecting was that Jesus will finally, as a prophet, tell her where God dwells to receive our worship. Finally, you will clarify this issue once and for all. I don't mind going to tell everybody in Samaria, I met a prophet. I, 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 I judge him to be a prophet. I can attest that he's a prophet. And he has said there's no presence on the mountain. And if Jesus had said that on account of the amount of faith she reposed in him, this same woman who went and told people, come and see a man who told me all I ever did, would have gone back and told them, see, I have finally solved this whole worship problem. And Jesus instead destroys locations. How come we still have them today? He destroys location. Why do we have locations propped up? Because God has manifested there before. And we think that God is random. And you just stand and say, Climb Mount Gerizim. Release a blessing. No. God's eternal prophetic agenda. Genesis 12. Abraham. Father of faith. Start from verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Verse 2. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you. See the blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you in Abraham that's the premise next verse I'm going all the way to verse 7 so Abraham departed as the Lord has spoken to him and Lot went with him sad story Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran 5 then Abraham took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people whom they had acquired in Haran Watch carefully. 
and they departed to go to the land of Canaan, aka Samaritan territory. Who was in Samaria? Canaanites. Who was in Jerusalem? Jebusites. Before Israel coming into the promised land, conquered all them tribes and took over their lands. Along with the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hittites, the Moabites. Yeah? The Perizzites. Parasites. But Abraham's first stop as he departs her is Canaan. Isn't that interesting? And he departs just after God has told him, in you, the families of the earth will be blessed. So they came to the land of... Abraham passed through the land to the place of... Have you been following this series? As far as the terebinth tree of Moreh. And the Canaanites were then in the land. Shechem. This is the location of John 4. It's the location of Samaria. Abraham transversed this land first. See verse 7. See, see, see verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham. Where? In Shechem. So why do we prop up locations as places of worship? Because at one point or the other, God manifested there. There he built an altar to the Lord. What appeared to him? Verse 7 again. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your descendants I will give this land. This land could be Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree, which came to pass because Isaac passed it on to Jacob. Jacob bought it and built a well. This land could mean Shechem. This land could mean Israel, which the 12 tribes having come in 430 years later took over. But Israel is a type in some cases of the church. So this land could be Shechem, this land could be Israel, this land could be the earth that his descendants, in other words, the sons of faith would come into which if you go back to UTG series 2 and you realize that we were never promised heaven we we're promised what aka this land so if you look at Abraham's story in the light of the new covenant a lot of things become instantly clear to your descendants I will give this land Shechem tick Israel tick the earth tick and there he built an altar why to so the Lord appeared to him let's commemorate the appearance of the Lord God continues to use this mountain as a symbol of the covenant that was to come that's what you see in Deuteronomy 11 29 Deuteronomy 11.29 The tribes are coming into the land now. 
Now it shall be, this is 400 years later, right? After Abraham. It shall be when the Lord your God has brought you into the land which you go to possess, that you shall put the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. You see that? Mount Gerizim is not just some random place. It's where Abraham has been, has traveled, where God has appeared to him, and in fact, Abraham had built an altar. So scripture is not random. 400 plus years later, God tells them as they are coming into this land now, put the, the blessing on Mount Gerizim. Put the cross on Mount Ebal. That's what leads to Genesis 27, which we saw earlier. Six tribes on one mountain releasing the blessing. Six tribes on the other one releasing the curse. Joshua finishes this in Joshua 8, 30 to 35. Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal, opposite Mount Gerizim. Mount Ebal, mountain of course. I didn't say curse deliberately, I said course. The God of Israel in Mount Ebal, keep going, altar with 35. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, that's Deuteronomy 11, Deuteronomy 27. An altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. 32. And there in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses which he had written. Then all Israel with their elders and officers and judges stood on either side of the ark before the priests, the Levites who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the stranger as well as he who was born among them. Half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebar as Moses the servant of God commanded before that he should bless the people of Israel. Afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings according to all that is written in the book of the law. 35 and the last verse there was not a word of all that Moses had commanded which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel with the women the little ones and the strangers who were living among them so Joshua fulfills all of that Isaac follows Abraham before this Jacob comes there to the same place before this and Jacob buys the land same land Genesis 33 18 to 20 same place same place. Scripture is not random. Then Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem. Jacob now being Abraham's grandson. Which is in the land of Canaan. Because the first place Abraham landed when he left in Genesis 12 was Canaan. And came to Shechem. And the Lord appeared to him and he built an altar. Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem. Which is in the land of Canaan. When he came from Padanaram. And he pitched his tents before the city, 19, when he, and he bought the parcel of land where he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. I explained that last week. Then he erected an altar again and called it Eleloi, Israel. God, the Lord of Israel. Another altar. But... That God used a thing or place does not automatically mean he intended to perpetuate it. 
that God used the thing or place does not automatically mean he intended to perpetuate it. That God showed up at Shiloh doesn't mean God is still at Shiloh. The glory of God filled the temple, 2 Corinthians 5, when they were dedicating the temple of Solomon. Filled the place such that the priests could not stand to perform their duties. Such Shekinah. And yet, God let them destroy it multiple times. And the last one, they could not rebuild it. It laid so much in ruins that now over that same place where Shekinah appeared is a mosque standing there now. Now you are praying in the wailing wall that is holding up a division of what used to be your temple in which the glory of God was so powerful priests could not stand to perform their duties and yet it was sacked and raised to the ground and Jesus said not one stone will be left standing on the other and it came to pass. If it was the tabernacle of God where was God when they sacked it? Where was his presence that people could not stand when he invaded the temple? Where was that presence when heathen armies Nebuchadnezzar came first. They, they, they enjoyed sacking Jerusalem. It was not a joke. Before he finally fell to Saladin. He felt so bad that they had to sign a truce to let Jews out. That's how bad Jerusalem fell. They had to sign a truce. Okay, so, okay, we'll just open the gate and you'll just pass and go straight to the sea and board your ships and leave the land. That's what got Israel to become Palestine. Do you understand now? So when the Arabs eventually won under Saladin, they sacked the Jews and Arabs came in. Taking a land that wasn't theirs, but the idea was, if we either burn it burn it down with you in it or we allow you exit because they wanted that place as a trophy so gave birth to the crusades wanted it so bad if you if you're a vile sinner and we know that you are going to go to hell just go and fight in jerusalem all your sins will be forgiven or somebody died and you, you, you can't guarantee if that person that died has gone to heaven you go and fight in jerusalem on their behalf when you finish fighting, do one crusade or two, come back, the, 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 bishop, the, the archbishop or the bishop will declare the sins of that person who's dead forgiven on account of your works. Go and read your history. That's what a crusade was. So people kept going to the crusades, not for glory, but in most cases for necessity. And the temple is no more. So God is such a chicken presence that he invades a building they sack the building. He doesn't do anything about it. He looks for another building to go and evade. They destroy that building. He just he leaves and goes to another building. That God used a thing or place does not automatically mean he intended to perpetuate it. It stands in place only until its job is done. It stands in place only until its job is done. Until the substance which it was pointing to manifests. And, and that's why it's heartbreaking when in the New Testament we're talking about building altars. 
And again, this is where I start to speak and I get into trouble. Like I can't just stay out of trouble. No matter how hard I try. That's an apostolic language now. Let's be, be, be brethren. I tell you a mystery. We must erect an altar. Where do you see in the scriptures that a new creation is building altars? We're not building, we are the altar. That the fire is burning on. We are the altar. I beseech you therefore now, brethren, in view of the message of God, that you present yourselves, yourselves, your bodies, as a living sacrifice. Sacrifice happens on an altar. We are the altar. Erect an altar. Because every time, and that's why sometimes we also struggle to let go of stuff. You want to always perpetuate something. I didn't start today. Don't you know the woman that followed Jesus? Mary Magdalene, that one. Out of whom he cast out. That's all you could remember. You could not have said Mary Magdalene, the one who poured ointment on his feet. That will not sell in propaganda. It will not interest a Greek Gentile like Theophilus. He will not have arrested Theophilus' attention. So Luke had to borrow a little bit of sensationalism. Because not, don't forget he's writing Luke to a one person. Theophilus. The same person to which he wrote Acts. So don't you remember Mary Magdalene? The one in whom he cast out seven demons. Hey, you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. A woman cast out seven demons by Jesus following Jesus. Oh, that's news. So we perpetuate something and build an altar around what God has moved on from. And it's horrible. It's horrible to hold somebody to a thing or place that God has moved them on from. It's, more, it's worse to hold God to a thing or place that he's moved on from. Whatever you may call it. Start to think of all the symbols. Start to think of all the tokens. Start to think of all the types and shadows that we are holding on to today. Holding on tightly to, we don't want to lose the types and shadows. The substance is here, we don't give a toss. We're not interested in the substance. The substance is bad for business. Because nobody buys substance, it is free. Come drink, come buy milk with no money. Isaiah, yes, I know what it says. If God did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will not him along with him freely give us all things? Substance doesn't sell in religion because it is free. So if we will make money, what must we sell? Types and shadows. Substance doesn't build empires. You are delivered. Doesn't build empires. It doesn't buy me a Ferrari. You cannot be demon possessed. Doesn't buy me land. 
You have the blessing. You don't need to sow nothing into it. It doesn't build the church building. That's bad business. So we deliberately subjugate the substance. So that we can make brisk business of types and shadows. Don't, don't teach, don't teach it. Don't teach it. Spoiling it again. We can't teach truth without the truth. Exposing the error. Because this means that physical places of worship were types and shadows. That's exactly what Jesus was trying to tell this woman. That worship is not about Jerusalem or mountain. A time is coming where you will neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem worship. So instantly Jesus makes clear that it's not about a place of worship. Isaiah 66 1. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Read that next line. Mm-hmm. Message then. From the top. One, two, go. Uh -huh. Yeah. Question. Mm -hmm. Answer. Amplified. Neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then? Where? Where? Where then is a house that you could build for me? And where will my resting place be? What kind of house can a man build for God? That the man can call a house of God. A man built a house for God and said, come and live here. Whenever we're looking for you, let us be able to find you here. We don't want to look for you anyway. Let's be looking for you in our own private rendezvous that we built for you. Where? NLT. 66 and 1. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? Could you build me such a resting place? Isaiah 17, 45. This is Old Testament, by the way. So even when you said in the Old Testament, God dwelt in buildings, say it carefully. Say, <laughs> mind, mind your mouth. Say it very carefully. As Acts 17, 45 through to 51. Acts 17, 45. Are you, are you getting anything already? Acts 17, 45. Forgive me. It will, it will not be 45. It will be 25. Um... Give me from 22 for context. 22 through to 26. Then Paul stood in the midst of Arophagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the object of your worship, the object of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, 
Paul took advantage of it. Him I proclaim to you. 24. Pay attention. God. Who made the world. And everything in it. Since he's the Lord of heaven and earth. Does. Not. Dwell. In temples made with hands. Does not. 25. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands. As though he needed. So when I tell you that worship profits you. And doesn't profit God. And people walk away angry. How dare he say something like that. When I say worship does not add to God. It's not worship with men's hands as though he needed anything. Since he gave leaves to all life, breath, and all things. You see that? So I wrote here. The spirit whom we have received as sons. I said this last week retired the looking for God's presence in physical locations she said where should we worship the mountain or Jerusalem Jesus said spirit so spirit is the retirement of the mountain spirit is the retirement of Jerusalem Jesus did not give spirit concurrently such that there can be Jerusalem, there can be mountain, and there can be spirits, and all three are nice and hunky-dory. After all, a threefold cord. No. The spirit retired the searching for God's presence in physical locations. Why? Because when Jesus, when God asked, in Isaiah 66 and 1, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool, what kind of house would you build for me? He, God, knew the answer to his question. And he knew the kind of house that could be built for him. And he knew the kind of man that could build it. David was going to try and build a house and God said, No, you have shed too much human blood. The person that can build this house is one who, whose singular blood is acceptable for all humans not one who has killed humans and shed their blood no one who has killed humans and shed their blood can build my house so no David you can't build my house your son will build my house David gets up he got, gets all the gold all the wood all the silver from all the nations since God has said I won't build it my son will build it my son will lack nothing and Solomon built it it lasted 40 years on the throne and God took it away because David didn't understand which of his sons until Bartimaeus is on the way to Jericho and his head, Jesus is coming. He says, Jesus, thou son. Yeah. 
what appeared when Jesus was born? The star of David. That's Israel's flag till today. David packed up and loaded up for Solomon. I said, I can't build it. No, it was you. You shed too much human blood. It's your son. And we thought he meant the son who would not shed blood. So Solomon had rest on every side. And he built the Lord's temple and the Lord destroyed it. If that was the temple, why would Jesus, son of God, stand in their presence and say, you see this temple in all its magnificence, all its grandeur, to be destroyed. Not a one stone will be left on the other. If it was God's temple, why would Jesus be saying it to be destroyed? Because the kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. So yes, it was David's son, but no, not that son. Root of Jesse. Son of David. It was the one that says the kingdom shall never depart. So when, when uh, Isaac was dying, even Moses said the same prophecy over the 12 tribes. He said the scepter shall never depart from Judah. That prophecy over the 12 sons. He said the scepter. It was Jesus. Yes, Isaac prophesied it. Moses prophesied it. He said the scepter shall never depart from Judah. Bethlehem is where? In Judah. David's home, the root of Jesse, son of David, on the throne forever. Thy throne, O God, is forever. The scepter of thy kingdom is the right scepter. The scepter shall never depart from Judah. If he's referring to David's physical dynasty, well, where are they now? But he's the scepter of Judah. And so he was the one that God had in mind when he asked in Isaiah 66. But at the same time he asked when he asked, who shall go for us, who shall we send? He knew who he had in mind. So the same vein, he says, who? What kind of house would you build me? He knew. The kind of house that it could be built for him to move into. And he knew the kind of man that could build a house. First Peter 2.5 First Peter 2.5 you also as living stones are being built up a what a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices so over the altar acceptable to god through jesus christ you lively stones lively stones with life are being built up into a spiritual house that is to say, therefore, dot, 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 therefore, that if God is spirit, says Jesus to the Samaritan woman in John 4, the woman asked nothing about spirit. She asked about location, two locations. Jesus says, God is spirit. She didn't ask anything about spirit, but he volunteered spirit in two ways. One, as a definition of the substance of God and two as the replacement or retirement of location of worship if God is spirit it means only spirit things can pull God what will please God will have to come from him 
So if God is spirit, what kind of house can God who is spirit live in? 1 Peter 2.5 1 Peter 2.5 Put it back up. And you also as living stones or lively stones are being built up a what? What is a spiritual house? A house made up of and God is so you see we are the answer to Isaiah 66 verse 1 heaven is my throne earth is my footstool what kind of house can you build for me basically heaven and earth physical can't contain me what other kind of physical tabernacle do you think can contain me if the epitome of, of, of existence the epitome of beauty the epitome of tangibility the epitome is heaven and that's my throne then earth which I said was very good is my footstool and even both of them are not enough to be my house what kind of house do you want to build me? Basically, it cannot be a physical house. So we are the house he came to build. Say with me, I am the house. Together with you and you. That he came to build. Oh, come on, give God praise. means that means to worship in the spirit is to worship as his temple not in a temple that's what that's what it has to mean to worship in the spirit means to worship as their temple not in a temple there is no temple worthy enough to be worshipped in for God if it's physical, it doesn't suffice. Period. Deck it with gold. Overlay it with silver. Cast it in marble. Spread mezzanine all over it. Let it be ceramic tiled and let it be oozing with jasper and oinks and sardis and fine gemstones from all the plots of the earth. If it's physical, it doesn't qualify. Says the scriptures. sorry if man built it he's not moving into it dedicate it all you want anoint it all you want if man built it he ain't in there if he ever steps in there I brought him The moment I live there, it's gone. It, it is actually quite sad that somebody will walk into a building and go to the front and lie somewhere and touch something 
to reach God. I wish we would forget everything else and major on the message. And let the word just speak. And stop being so personal. Especially when you have made enough money to last you and your children a comfortable life. I wish some of these guys would be more open to truth. Because the truth you are learning now will not take the land you already have. It won't obliterate the money in your bank account. So it honestly doesn't hurt to sit down, humble yourself, and see the truth. Why would we put God's people through that? Looking for God in an altar that a carpenter from timber market built. When he was building it, his shirt was off. He was sweating, cursing, just doing his thing. Didn't care about it. He brought a painter and tiler from eight miles. He tiled it. And because you poured oil or water on top of it, God moved in there. A man built something. A man said, I know it's wood. And Have you gone and read Jeremiah's description of how an idol is built? It's no different from what we've built and dedicated to God. And a believer in whom the Spirit of God dwells for free leaves their location and finds an altar, finds a mountain, Finds a room. They went to look for God. Oh no, don't bullshit me. I understand the place of privacy. I understand the place of distractions. Your phone can be a distraction. Your TV can be a distraction. The street your window is facing can be a distraction. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about you going to a place because they've told you God is there. Upon this mountain, in this retreat, in this villa, you hear God. And we are okay to see children of God groveling for His presence. Groveling for His presence. As though you can see anywhere in scripture where God in the New Testament delights in the desperation of his people. Somebody that has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. A God that says, but we now with unveiled faces beholding and God if you don't cry you won't see him you won't hear him 
God that delights in the suffering of his children after delighting in the suffering of Jesus is a fraud. We worship as the temple, not at. First Corinthians 3 9. First Corinthians 3 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. Scream the last line. One to go, everybody. I see it in some other translations. Time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You are God's field, you are God's building or a course the message what makes them worth doing is the god we are serving you happen to be god's field in which we are working or to put it another way we are co-workers with god and you are god's cultivated garden you are the house and this is verse 9 see verses 16 and 17 same chapter 16 and 17 thank you father do you not know and understand that you, the church, I've taught you before, I said you, ye, together, are the temple, not temples. Yeah, Jesus did not build bodies, he built his body. <laughs> We're not bodies of Christ. <laughs> you by yourself cannot be the body of Christ. What's wrong with you? Doesn't Paul go on to argue and say, can the ear by itself say, I don't need the hand. I am the church. Can you hear yourself? <laughs> no individual can be the church. No individual can be the body. No individual can be the temple. Tell your neighbor, you need me more than you realize. Tell the other name, if they're not attending to you, pay attention to the one that knows that they, they need you. Yes, yes, yes. And if I were you, I would answer and say, I realize. I, I, yes. Because only together are we the temple. Only together. 16. Put it back up and, and take us into 17. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defies the temple of God, God will destroy him. What's the temple? The church. <laughs> anyone that defies the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple? TPT. So we say God is jealous for the church. Now, if someone desecrates God's inner sanctuary, God will desecrate him. For God's inner sanctuary is holy and that is exactly the message. No one will get by with vandalizing God's temple. No one will get by with vandalizing God's temple. No one will get by with vandalizing God's temple. You can be sure of that. God's temple is sacred. And you remember. 
you are the temple. Ephesians 2.21. Are you getting this? Worship in spirits. Ephesians 2.21. You can dreams. Let's start there. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Remember that? Next verse. In whom? The whole building. 1 Corinthians 3.9 said you are his building. 1 Peter 2.5 says you are lively stones being built into a house for God. In whom the whole building being fitted together grows into what? The holy temple in the Lord. So, there, so, so Abraham was at Mount Gerizim. And Jacob came to Mount Gerizim. And Jacob built a, 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 a well there. After building an altar there. Genesis 33, he built an altar. We saw last, last week that if you land in a place and buy the place and want to settle there, the first thing you build is a well. Don't forget that what we're talking about is well, water, spirit. So then we're back to our narrative and we see that Jacob built a well. He dug a well. Hence, it's called Jacob's well. He dug a well and I wrote here as a symbol of what? As a symbol of the promise. promise was made to Abraham. Abraham steps out of where he was, lands in Canaan, lands in Samaria, lands in Shechem, builds an altar. Jacob follows a while later, lands there, buys land, pitches his tent, builds an altar, and then builds a well. There's a reason why that story is there. There's a reason why it's, it's, it's only where it appears and nowhere else. Because water, as we've seen, is symbolic of the spirit. And water signifies life. So Jacob built that well, dug that well as a symbol of the promise. What was the promise? Before I answer that, let me point out something else that a lot of us have missed in John 4. We're now at what is the promise, right? But before I answer that, let's look at something that Jesus introduced. So you see, she says, I perceive you're a prophet, verse 19. John, when John 4, right? I perceive you are a prophet. 20. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. 21. Jesus said to her, Believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain worship. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. Go back to verse 12. She asks Jesus, Are you greater than our father, Jacob? Who gave us this well? This life? Drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock. So she had a basic human understanding of fatherhood. She instantly says, are you better than our father, Jacob? So she understands Jacob as their patriarch. It is based on that reverence, reverence, or that, 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 shall I say, adulation even. That she has for Jacob 
that she comes to Jesus to validate her claim as a Samaritan to Mount Gerizim. Our fathers, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. She wasn't just saying it casually like our ancestors. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. Are you greater than our father Jacob? What does that mean? In the eye of the Samaritan woman and all of Samaria, Jacob is great. That's why she will ask him, are you dying man by well? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Who along with our other fathers worshipped on this mountain and handed us a mode of worship. And Jesus borrows from this tangibility again to show her something. In verse 26, he says to her, after she says to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who will be called Christ. Jesus says, I who speak to you, I am he. He that is greater than your father, Jacob. But then she also admitted, our father's worshipped on the mountain and Jesus says to her woman 21 believe me go back to 20 our fathers worshipped on this mountain let's stay here and see if any of these translations actually fill in what is missing let's let's start with I don't know NLT Samaritans, Jerusalem is the only place of worship. Okay, next, another translation. Fantastic. So tell me this. Why do our fathers worship God? It's not there in New King James, but duh, it's inferred. This is this God of Israel, they worship in Mount Gerizim and in Jerusalem. King James doesn't volunteer God. But we know that it is God's worship we're talking about here. So when she said, it is in Jerusalem we worship, or it is in Mount Gerizim, Jesus knew who the object of her worship was. But he replies her in 21. He replies in 21, New King James, and he says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this, worship, on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship, She's talking about worshipping God. Jesus introduces her to the Father. She's talking about worshipping God. Jesus pretty much sets God aside. He says, let me introduce you to the Father. So, he's dealing with spirit. He's dealing with removing Jerusalem. He's dealing with removing the mountain. But he's dealing with introducing the Father. And he leverages father because she had earlier on, on two occasions, said, Are you greater than our father, Jacob? Our fathers who worshipped God on this mountain. Alright, fantastic woman. I'm introducing you not just to worship in spirit, but to worship of the father. That is instructive. 
It's instructive in the sense that God is interested in father worship. Not God worship. Whatever will please God must come from him, right? Anything that must please God must come from him. And he says, Jesus says that God is spirit. He that must worship him must worship him in spirit. God is spirit. If you must worship him, you must worship him in spirit. Because what must please God must come from him. If God is spirit, then only spirit worship can please him. Does that make sense? And so Jesus comes to seek true worshippers. Worshippers in spirit. Who are worshippers in spirit? Those in whom the spirit of God dwells. That temple. That sanctuary. If God is spirit... And in Galatians 4, 6, because you are sons, he sent forth the spirit of his son crying. If God is spirit, then it makes absolute sense that he will send his spirit into you to validate that you are his son. So in, 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 in essence, receiving the spirit of God at regeneration is receiving the DNA of God. That immediately makes you a candidate to worship God in spirit and in truth. So worship has to be the exclusive preserve of sons. Because only sons have his spirit. Therefore, only sons can worship the Father. In spirit. So if Jesus came to introduce us to Father God, it means that what Father God is after is worship from sons. Not fear from servants. Only sons worship. Everything that has breath may praise him. But only sons worship. Isaiah says, the trees of the field will clap their hands. Everything that has breath. Praise him, O ye earth. Everything that has breath. Every created thing can praise God. Worship is the exclusive preserve of sons. Because only sons carry the spirit. And the spirit is the transmission the transfusion of God's very essence into you because God is not God has spirit God is spirit so you receiving the spirit of God is you receiving God your sons so if God is spirit and they that must worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth then only sons can worship because only sons have the spirit and if sons have the spirit then their worship must be to their so Jesus introduces the worship of the Father. If worship is for sons, I put here, then He, God, has to be presented and seen as their Father. If worship is for sons, because only sons have the Spirit, then God has to be presented to those sons as their Father. So God was seeking true worshippers as a Father. And not as a God. 
That's why many sons were brought into glory. God worship is subservient. You know, just you just submitting. God have your way. You know, father worship is fellowship. God worship means ah, his God will just do what he says. You know, fear the Lord. That's subservient. And unfortunately, a huge majority of the church is trapped in God worship. Subservient. Is that God worship realm that angels are mighty ministers of God who will crush you a mere mortal? Angels are. Oh God, can you guys handle this? Oh my Lord Jesus. Angels are spirits, you know. You know Hebrews says, are angels not in chapter 1. Are angels not ministering? Plural. Every angel is an individual spirit. The spirit of the angel or the spirit that the angel is, is his own spirit. Angels don't have spirits. Angels are spirits. That means angel Michael is the spirit of Michael. Angel Gabriel is the spirit of Gabriel. They have no other spirit. A spirit cannot have a spirit. So Angel Michael is the spirit of Angel Michael. Now, you are not a spirit. You have received not the spirit of this world but the spirit of God. Do you now understand why angels come to minister to you? Because angels do not have the spirit of God who is their boss. They are spirits. They are individual spirits. They have no physical bodies. They are spirits. So between a spirit and a body carrying the spirit, who should fear who? I am carrying the spirit of the one who gave angels existence as spirits so they would accord me the honor the reverence the respect that they will accord their boss if i were a spirit then you could say okay it could be at worst on the same level at par even in that instance, if angels slap me, I will catch the angel and slap him. Because if you are a spirit, me too. I'm a spirit. At worst, equals, contemporaries. At best, I will still have advantage of that angel because at least I have a body I can function in. But at least you could you can understand why an angel will try to rough handle you or ruffle you because you're a spirit like him. No. Spirit 
Spirit is along the levels of angels. Are you, oh God. Along the levels of angels and demons. That's the comparison. Hmm? That is why an angel came to answer Daniel's prayer. And a demon spirit stopped him. You can say a junior angel, a senior demon. Because this demon, this spirit, this spirit is called the Prince of Persia. It's, it's not a physical, it's a territorial spirit. We, we, we have no indication that the angel sent was a territorial angel. The angel probably has no territory. Now entered the territory of Persia controlled by the spirit of the Prince of Persia. So the prince of that dark kingdom had every right to say my friend stop there <laughs> you fly no further and a higher ranking angel had to intervene so if you are comparing spirits that's why you leave it that's why you leave it the God's answer to my prayer is on such a secure encrypted line that no spirit can intercept you know why this line is so direct because this this god answering the prayer is answering from inside of me rivers of living water That is a secure, direct, encrypted line. It cannot be hacked. Cannot be intercepted. Angels can't stop this. I have advantage. I have the spirit. You, you spirits can clash at your level. That's your problem. Yeah. Your fellow cultists, you clash at your level. You know. <laughs> fellow spirits clash at your level you see why God had to make a clear distinction where he sat us far above what had to be a clear distinction no mates above 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 principalities and powers so neither angels nor princes of the power of the air have anything on the believer in Christ. Do you know how much advantage it is to be son of God? Son of God. Angels worship as programmed. Subservience. We worship as fellowship. As a result of what God did to facilitate it. That's what John was saying in 1 John 1, 3. That you may have fellowship with us. As our fellowship. Koinonia. That's the word. Koinonia. And it's exchange. Koinonia is exchange. It's exchange both ways. It's not just one directional. Our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. 
truly our fellowship is with so our sons what do we have fellowship with our father <laughs> the spirit of god flashed a a picture that happened to me a few weeks ago one of people like, like i will call my daughter did something very silly got into a huge mess and i was pained not upset you forgive in advance people stand forgiven but it the pain so pastorally i was upset legally i was mad and like oh come on what is this not again and so you know the structure so I just let them handle it i'm going about my day and then she sends me a text and she's, she's, she's i think she's crying she calls me i think i didn't come to the phone and she oh, I said i will call back and she sent me a text she says pav i need you now i need my father now and i was in the office i was busy the moment i got that text i understood exactly what she meant I'm not, it's right now it's not pastor under shepherd and uh, hccp all of the boy I, I i i that i'm looking for you i need right now i need my father now and i cut short my meeting i shut down i entered the car i drove off she sent me a text saying she's looking for her father she cannot look for her father and not find him because of this she cannot look for her father because it is a vex, you mess up. That's you and pastor. That's you and under shepherd. That's why when the devil whispers to you to run away because you messed up, you're not doing yourself a favor. She's looking for her father. There's no way she'll look for her father if she has one. And not find him. I didn't reply the text. Until I got there, came out crying. I held her. And she just cried. And I was just there and... I didn't say a word. You wanted me, I'm here. And she cried until she was fully satisfied. She said, you're good. I love you. I hope my presence here ministers that to you. The Spirit of God flashed, reminded me of that episode. And he said to me, you, as you are, can respond when somebody invokes the Father clause. You that even has capacity to vex. You that has capacity for something to pain. In spite of your pain and your hurt and your disappointment, the moment she says, I'm looking for my father, I need my father now. I knew there's no way. There's, the, how, there's no way I can say I'm your father. And you say, I need my father and I don't go. I left, I drove straight there, found the place. And the Lord reminded me, if you, that has capacity to feel pain, has capacity to feel hurt, will respond when the fatherhood, your small, small, petty fatherhood, is invoked. How much more me, that took everything that can make me upset with my children, and hammered it on Christ, and killed it so that I no longer have the capacity to be mad at them. What stops me from responding when you call? Before you call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, God says, I will respond. Because he is, that's what it means for him to be father. So our worship of the father 
is a totally different dynamic. Totally different dynamic. There are things I still do for my wife today as her father. That if I were not your big daddy, and she knows how to press those buttons, then your heavenly father. That's fellowship. That's the worship he desires. Not the one of him coming down on the mountain and you run. Or coming into Jerusalem, into the temple, and you cannot enter because God entered. Talk to me. Are you seeing the contrasts? He comes on the mountain, everybody runs away. He comes into Jerusalem, even the priests cannot do ministry anymore. <laughs> How much more the non-priests? <laughs> How much, much less the Gentile? Father worship is fellowship. That's the basis on which the writer of Hebrews is in chapter 4. Let us therefore come boldly. So when you read the narrative of John 4, don't miss, don't miss the fact that he didn't just introduce spirit and truth. He introduced father worship. When all she knew was God worship in a place. He introduced father worship in the spirit. Amen? Has that helped anybody? Oh, he's my father. And he's such a good one too. Never run away because you messed up. Don't let religion or anybody cheat you. No, that's when you invoke the fatherhood of God. That's when. That's when more than anything else, he wants to prove himself your father. Are you listening to me? You worship. Listen to me. Oh, Lord Jesus. Spirit worship is not undulating. You know, undulating planes. Spirit worship is not undulating. It's not topography that changes. It's not a chart that has transients. You know, transient spikes on a chart. And therefore, when you're feeling holy, you're spiking. You're worshiping. And then when you're feeling low and judged and condemned, you don't raise your voice too loud. Quiet in it. And that's what religion expects you to do. Religion expects you to sit down, shut up, beat yourself up, strip yourself. You might as well go back to sackcloth and ashes. And be contrite and broken. Because you messed up yesterday. Are you now saying, can you shut up? You will not hide access to the Father, to people, to please a bunch of people who want to regulate others and not regulate themselves. Remove the blank in your eye. That's what Jesus said. That's not when you reduce the volume of your worship. That's when you shout everything you are in Christ Jesus. At that point, you are fighting for your sanity. That's when you shout. It's a battle of the mind, remember? You are literally fighting for your sanity. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am not my sin. I live above the systems of this world. I am free from the law of sin and death. You scream it aggressively, fervently. 
till the weakness itself becomes afraid. When we take one look at you, we can tell, ah, last week was not very good for you. No, that's when he's your father the most. That's when it's crucial that he's your father. God, you can be afraid of. It's okay. He's God, oh. Fear him. <laughs> yes, you are. You should, you should, you should have sense <laughs> to fear God. If you don't fear God, something is fundamentally and quintessentially wrong with you. Mm hmm. Oh, you don't fear God. Wow. <laughs> oh, see. <laughs> fear God. God do. God. Scripture says the oceans see him and fled. The oceans saw him and fled. So what you call the tide going out is, is the seas coming to realization of who God is and they flee from the shore. And he says that in, 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 in Isaiah 64, he says the hills skip like lambs. Volcanic eruptions and all that move cataclysmic movements in the earth. It's creation acknowledging who their boss is. The mountains skip like lambs in your presence. No. God is worthy to be feared. <laughs> hey, don't. Don't think of him like baby Jesus. No, he's worthy to be feared. Which makes my salvation so beautiful that a God so terrifying can humble himself to fall in love with me. That's the joy of salvation. That that's all inspiring God. That eternal being that rains mountains commended his love towards you. And the commending of his love towards you means that all the danger he is cannot touch you. Oh, he is almighty God. Mm -hmm. David said by the hatchel of his nostrils, the Red Sea parted. He says by the blast of his nostril, the Red Sea parted and became a wall, the scripture says, on one side and on the other. Because God decided one day to sneeze with one nostril. So guess what? The Bible says in Exodus 14 into 15, that all night long a wind blew. That's human terms though. Because you know a wind blew that parted the Red Sea. From the human perspective, from what Moses wrote. That all night long a wind blew. Guess the wind that was blowing. The blast of your nostril, a wind blew all night, divided the Red Sea to the very bottom. And it wasn't loose, it says he formed a wall on one side and the other. On human terms, what are they saying? A wind. What was it? Small sneeze. And that all powerful, that all eternal, that all knowing, that all seeing God sat down and realized nothing can contain me except you. And you're normal. 
So now he doesn't inspire fear, even though he is to be feared. Oh, he is to be feared. Why doesn't inspire fear? It doesn't. Inspires love, fellowship. So he has had a busy day as God running the universe for all eternity. And yet we come boldly before the throne. And when we mess up, what do we need? Mercy. Where do we find the mercy? At the throne. How do we come to that throne? No knocking. No knocking. No protocol. No protocol. You don't even... So, so you, you confess your sin before you enter the throne. Who are you confessing it to? The angel? Wait. Let me go to the throne with your confession and see if it will find acceptance. Wait for me. So now, angels will now start to intermediate for you. Angels. Angels. I don't want to carry your, your confession. Wait, let me just go and clear from God first to be sure whether you, you can come in. Yeah, don't lift your hands yet or they might not be yet holy. Mm. Let's find out where, where, where God is. Okay, you know what? Yeah. Angel that we will judge. First Corinthians 6. Angels that we will judge. And are the ones processing our confession. No, you come in. You just hope, imagine God sitting on the throne. Just, I mean, I'm very graphic. I'm very graphic. I, there's no hinge on the door of my graphic. My dark room is dark. If you don't know for old photography, you don't know what I mean by dark room. That's where you wash those negatives and become pictures. Yeah. My dark room is, dark room is very, very, very imaginative. So imagine God sitting down with the 24 elders. They're having a meeting. Then, you know, sons of God came to present themselves. Satan is there. Satan. Now you tell me I can't come. When the idiot that tripped me up is inside. <laughs> Can God punish the devil? Ah, ah, what is this? Who is as annoyed as I am? It's annoying. The idiot that tripped me up. It's inside my father's office, inner chamber. And I can, from outside, I can see them talking and they are not fighting. Then I should stay outside. No. Let us therefore now come boldly, boldly, boldly. So, if sons of God came, referring to angelic beings, and Satan came with them, then it means that when we're coming, our footsteps should be so loud like goom, 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 goom. You get to the door, you kick the door open, and you're like, Dad, we're here. We're here. Your father will be like, What's up, son? And you'll be like, Dad, I came for mercy. Where's today's? Because your mercies are new. Now here's the thing. Here's the here's the here's the thing. The thing you are asking mercy for, God doesn't know. So he looks at you. 
like mercy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Have it. It's your, but what's, what's going on? And Satan is there saying, hey, hey, speak. In fact, that's why I came to even talk with you. Speak. You see why confession is stupid? But son, I don't know what you're talking about. As long as the right hand of the father has the son, the presence of the son guarantees that you can kick down the doors anytime. Come before your father boldly. 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 Until the day you will come in. I said, today I just came for mercy. I'm chilling. You know, all the things I'm struggling with, they're all gone, father. And the father will be like, yeah, that's, that's good. Your elder brother is coming soon for you in it. That's what it means. That's what it means. Yeah, that's, that's what it means. It means he's, it means he's, he's going to come for you soon. Marry you and bring you home. And take your place. That's your father. And nothing and no one should paint him differently. So we're losing a lot of people because we judge them out of their inheritance. Judge them out of their inheritance. Somebody cannot bounce back from a mess because now you they vex. You're a witch. You cannot bounce back. No, there's no, that's it, they're done. Because you're the one that is offended. The one that died for you and them. Says, come boldly. You're sat there beating yourself up over what heaven has no record of. Come boldly. That's worship. Every transaction between you and God happens at the throne, not at the door. The good, the bad, the ugly happen in his presence. God has no transactions with you outside his presence. Because if you can, if you need, if you can clean yourself up outside the presence, what are you coming to the presence for? Really? But God guarantees that we are in his presence. That's why we sing it the way that we sing it. I am in the presence of my Father. Presence I am in. I am in the presence of my Father. He that brought me said to come bold. I am in. And he guarantees clean hands, pure hearts, good grace, good God. I am in the presence of my father. Declare it. I am in the presence of my father. The presence I am in is the presence that's in me. Yeah. I am in the presence of my father. He that brought me said, I am in the presence. And he Oh, come on.
everyone give him praise. So I become bold. The Spirit guarantees that we come boldly every single time. That's why John says, confess, confess, James rather says, confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. It's yourselves. Don't drag God into it. For him, we come boldly. The veil that has been torn can never be stitched together again. Ever. Religion is beginning to understand that. Really strong. Top to bottom. And you cannot put it back together again. You cannot. You cannot. Father worship. Fellowship. That's the worship that tickles the father now. He has enough servants. I am in the presence of my father. The presence I am in is the presence that's in me. He that brought me said to come boldly. And he guarantees clean hands, pure hearts, good grace, good God. It's a reality that we sing. Because by the time you think for us to live here at the altar, you're referring to an inanimate place. Where somebody can encounter God. That's what we're not saying, but allow them, let them come to the altar. Let them come to the altar that you are standing on. People that have the spirit to come to the altar that you, a man like them, that has been like them, are standing on to meet the Lord. Oh, Pav, it's proud, it's manipulative. Can the scriptures just speak and everybody else keep quiet? Stop hating on the messenger. Because even our gospel churches have so much mixture. Come to the altar. Come to the altar. You are, stand, you are standing here. When only one man had the audacity to say, if I, the son of man, I be lifted up, I will draw. I will draw. Worship, father worship is fellowship. And that was what he showed the first son of God. You know, Luke 338 traces the genealogy of Jesus, ends at Adam, son of God. So when God put man in the garden, who did he put there? Son of God. Because this man was created in his after his own. And in that garden where God puts his first son, excuse me, please look at me, everybody. Please, when it was time, abundant grace for worship, who went to who for the fellowship? When it was service time, who did the journey to meet the other person? 
did man travel anywhere in Eden to meet God? Who did the moving? Man fell and sinned. Who still came looking? God the Father. Father God. Always looking for his own. That's a, and that is, you know, I told you we are doing a forward journey backward. Because how does this story end? The same way it began. The tabernacle of God. Our, our, our story does not end in heaven. It doesn't. It doesn't. It, do, it ends on the earth. The new earth. For the tabernacle of God is with men. God has not always wanted people to come and meet him. He has always wanted a temple he can come and dwell in. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's why it's always his move. He's doing the drawing. The father is doing the drawing. It's always his move. He's not a taskmaster. Yes, He's a loving father. So he says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke, drop the other yokes, take my yoke, up, try my yoke upon you and learn of me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is not exactly a burden at all. And you will find rest for your souls. Hallelujah. Oh, we come home. You know, I was thinking about it. I read, I read Hebrews 12 in my study. You know, and it says that, you know, that, that mountain burned with fire. Such that it could not be touched. But it was, it was supposed to be a mountain that could be touched. But it couldn't be touched because they were not worthy to touch it. So only Moses went up in it. You remember? And then it says in, in chapter 22 of Hebrews 12. <clears throat> a mountain that was designed to be touched could not be touched. See verse 18. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched. You know, it doesn't say you have not come to the mountain that cannot be touched. It says you have not come to the mountain that can be touched. So Mount Sinai was referred to as a mountain that actually could, can be touched, referring to the fact that it was a physical mountain. Even though you couldn't touch it because it was burning. Does that make sense? But when it says can be touched, it was referring to tangibility. The mountain we have come to now is not a tangible, physical mountain because now we are we are worshiping in spirit in spirit so i was going to answer the question and then we start to round up what was the promise that jacob's well was pointing to we saw in john 7 that um that water is spirit right 
on that last great day of the feast, he lifted up his voice and said, Anyone who is thirsty, 37, 38, let him come to me and drink. That's Jesus speaking. For out of his belly, 38 now, shall flow as rivers of living water, which is what he referred to in John 4 to the woman. 39 makes clear that of this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believe him would receive. So water represents spirit. Is it clear? From what Jesus himself said. When he was talking about living water in John 4, what was he referring to? Spirit. Yes? Three chapters later in chapter 7, he explains that. Whose spirit? We're working with what Jesus himself said now to the woman. If he says that out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water, if he says that if you knew who was talking to you and the gift of God, you would, you would ask him to give you living water. And then in chapter 7, it's clear that he says, of this he referred to the spirit. This is the same spirit that he answers the woman when she asks him about location. He says, you worship in spirit. Because God is so if water is spirit whose spirit is it because god is so it's not the spirit of god because god has a spirit the spirit of god because god is spirit you following me now i said god is spirit jesus said then there's the song who was not human until he became human he existed before he took on a body he was in the beginning with God was God problem and we, we, we dribble and dribble and dribble and dribble and dribble was God until final clarity comes and then there is the spirit that is poured out and left and this son guy in his body of flesh is saying if I don't go it doesn't profit you if I don't go I can't come but if I go I will send you another comforter. A loss. A, a, a loss is another of the exact same kind. A loss. That's the word in, in Greek for another. The regular word for another in Greek is the word heteros. Another of a different kind, which is from which you get the word heterosexual relationship, such that you are supposed to. Amen. You are supposed to. Amen. Tell the difference between Amen. And a woman in Jesus name that is the meaning of heteros another of a different kind male and female created he them Adam and Eve not Adam and Steve not Madame and Eve Adam and Eve, 
Not Adam and Steve. Not Madam and Eve. Heteros. Heteros. Heterosexual. I'm hammering it so you understand what it means and understand why Jesus didn't use it. Because if by another comforter he said heteros, then you can divorce him from who is coming. Totally different people that will be heteros. You get it? If he said another and he said heteros, the person is coming. He said, he doesn't look like me. He's so, so, I finished my own. I'm going. He is coming. Jesus says, a loss. And not of the same kind. If you don't get that understanding, you miss everything else about the Trinity or lack of it. Why would he be referring to a totally different person and say, if I don't go, he cannot come? What is this? He's coming. Am I going? I've got to do with each other. Hey, come with your come. I'm going my go. He says, if I don't go, he can't come. Because it's me coming. Yes. Just not in a body anymore. I'm coming in your body. But I can't come in your body until I get rid of my body. So let me go and pack this glorified body. In the garage. Until. And let's come and use your body now in the earth. Until. So he's called the spirit of God and the spirit of Christ. Romans 8, 9. And so my argument according to scripture is that if God is spirit, if God is spirit, and then there is the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the spirit of God, how does God who is spirit need another spirit to be his spirit? Are you following the argument? Because God will have to be not spirit like us. To then need a spirit that holy spirit are we are we making sense but if god is spirit and we're not we're not debating whether or not the only person that has seen him <laughs> and has revealed him has said he is spirit then the other person that saw him and saw things that were not lawful for his mouth to utter also confirmed when he said the little he could utter that he dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has ever seen nor can ever see that clearly is not a physical animate person puts him in the realm of the celestial so if god is spirit already then the holy spirit is a different spirit and the holy spirit is the spirit of god who is spirit so there's God, the Father's Spirit. Then there is God, the Holy Spirit. Let there be God on the throne. Let the Spirit be different from Him. Let us see clearly three, three beings. God, whatever He is, just don't say your Spirit. Something else. So that we can now have you and then have your Spirit. And have your son. It doesn't stop there. It gets worse. This son. Has. 
a spirit. Because the son has a spirit. It's that spirit that was sent into us in Galatians 4 6. Because you are sons, you are sent for the spirit of his son. That his son is Christ. Then Romans 8 9 says, If anyone does not have the spirit of God, Romans 8 9, put a letter MC quickly. Romans 8 and 9. <laughs> but you're not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he's not his. Paul conveniently interchanges God and Christ with spirit. Conveniently. Like he doesn't even sound like he's talking about two different spirits. He sounds like, duh, you are supposed to know. Run through a few translations. I don't know what, I don't know what Romans 8 and 9 looks like in those other translations. But you're not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the spirit if you have the spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them. You know, it just, just, you know, it just goes between them. Same difference. Yeah, tomato, tomato. But Paul uses it interchangeably, very casually. Give us a few. What translation was that? NLT. So let's, let's, see, let's see a couple others. Let's see the message. But if God himself has taken up residence in your life. Oh, I like that. If God himself. God himself has taken up residence in your life. You can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of him. Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed this invisible. Invisible but clearly present God, the spirit of Christ. Do you have any more translations? Do you have, do you have TPT or something? Or when the spirit of Christ empowers your life, when the spirit of Christ empowers your life, you are not dominated by the flesh but by the spirit and if you are not joined to the spirit of the anointed one you guys just even you just just this god out of it just says christ all the way christ anointed one christ uh, christos amplified however you're not living in the flesh controlled by the sinful nature but in the spirit we'll come back to this verse before we close if in the if, if if in fact the spirit of god lives in you directing and guiding you but if anyone does not have the spirit of christ he does not belong to him and he's not a child of god so now you have god the father who is spirit supposedly you have the holy spirit who is spirit <laughs> i mean why is his name holy spirit if it's not ah. <laughs> mr spirit eh so we have the holy spirit who clearly the spirit we have the son who is the son with a glorified body and if he's a son with a glorified body his spirit how do you know his spirit because at the resurrection jesus said you cannot marry why because your physical bodies are transformed you are spirit at your adoption does that make sense spirit it's in that figurative sense that you say you have come to the spirits of just men made perfect and someday i will teach that because there's a, there's a blatant error going on now amongst these circles of apostolic moves 
that are referring to dead believers as the spirits of just men made perfect. That's a, that's a doctrine of demons. For you to say we have come to and then you're calling, that's how they're interpreting we have come to the spirits of just men made perfect. And they were in worship and they are calling their names. That's necromancy. That's necromancy. Summoning and dealing with the dead. Clearly forbidden in scripture. We stand here and you are calling dead people because you think by your own estimation, they were God's generals. And I was in a meeting recently where one of them came and said, while he was preaching on the altar, he saw Moses and Abraham walk into the room. Uncle, how did you know? First of all, what Moses and Abraham look like. Then you are the only one, conveniently, that saw them. And he asked God, I'm quoting word for word. He asked God, what are these saints doing here? And God replied to him and said, I'm quoting that he sent them to strengthen the meeting. Excuse me, your mother might as well enter Christ's experience. Hmm? Your dead father who died in the Lord but as well enter edify. Mm. After all, you loved them. After all, some of, some of you lost your parents prematurely. And they, and they died, you know they loved the Lord. So why don't we welcome them to the more sessions? Because right now, the Lord knows we can use some strengthening. But that opens the door to all kind of demonic manifestations. The presence of familiar spirits in the body of Christ. And we say we are uniting a body, but we are weakening the body. We're weakening the body. That's not spirits of just men made perfect. Because you see, Hebrews 12 refers to both what is vital as, what as, as, well, as well as what is promissory. Does that make sense? We have come to the heavenly Jerusalem. We're not there yet. The heavenly Jerusalem is not there yet. I'm trying to answer the I'm only trying to answer the question, what was the promise? Yeah. The heavenly Jerusalem that you have come to is not there yet. So what have you come to it? By the guarantee that you will come to it based on the guarantee that it will come. It is that same promissory sense that refers to the spirits of just men made perfect. At the time we gather, we gather as the church of the firstborn. We come to just men made perfect. Spirits of just men made perfect. It's not, it's not in any way referring to a dead saint. These all died not having obtained. These all died. And when I was referring to that, when that was mentioned, it was mentioned in a promissory sense. We start invoking dead people. We we'll sit in worship now and people are crying. And they're telling you that a dead reverend is in the meeting. It's in the meeting because he was a powerful man of God. He can't stay dead. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? I can't stay dead. You are so powerful. The Lord used you so mightily in the earth. You are dead. And you died successfully. You can't stay dead. You are coming to church meetings. The spirit of his son in your heart crying Abba Father is not enough. It's not enough. Why? Because substance is free. It doesn't make money. So you start to make noise because you can't rightly divide the word of truth pray for nine days straight don't drink water you will not see light you won't well, scripture if you're not open to let the scripture speak for himself there's no prayer and fasting and soaking no so whose spirit spirit of god who is the spirit of christ so you must at some point break down Sembelianism, break down Arminianism, break down oneness doctrine, break down Trinitarian doctrine, break down Unitarian doctrine, and just let the word speak for himself without any bias of theology. And that's why I don't tag myself to be anything. Calvinist, Arminianist, whatever it is. I'm, I'm a student of the scriptures. let the scripture speak and let's get clarity and stop being foolish tossed around by every wind of doctrine so if God is spirit and the word was, was God was God Jesus introduced this God as spirit we must be careful to not downplay what God is able to do especially as pertaining salvation i've warned you god only measures his power on the basis of salvation nothing causes god to show his power like saving you and by saving you i don't mean from that car accident oh he does that too but that's not power <laughs> no, no 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 come on that's not power. Yeah. That's just cheap elementary God things. That's not God expending power at all. God's power is manifest in his salvation plan. If you understand that, then you begin to appreciate the lengths he would go to reach you. The length he will go to reach you. TG series 3. I don't want to start stuff that I you know, get bogged in. There's no length that God will not go to. We must be careful to stop dumbing down the ability of God in an era where we are shooting up the possibilities of men. So be very careful, very careful to not insult God by thinking that he's not capable of doing what human beings now by science, technology and other advancements are able to do. Must be careful in explaining and being apologetic for his character to not make him weak and impotent. Because you're trying to defend his character. 
as just a small pointers. Whose spirit is the spirit of God? Who is the spirit of Christ? Who is Christ? Who is God? The spirit of Christ is the spirit of God. If you have Christ in you, you have God in you. Because we have always told you from the beginning, those of you who have been here from the beginning, Christ is the God you can do business with. Christ is God that you can transact with. To what measure, to what degree, you teach us in history, we shall. Who is this Jesus? Who is God? What does God mean? <laughs> Exploring the personality of the Holy Spirit. His place in the God scheme of things. The Holy Spirit in eternity, the Holy Spirit in divinity, the Holy Spirit in humanity. Jesus introduces God as spirit to the Samaritan woman. That's what water represents. Are you here in this church? <laughs> water represents spirit. You know how you keep thinking, hey, yeah. you keep thinking there is different, different messages we are teaching you. It's not to. Water represents spirit. That is why water baptism represents. Water, spirit, water, spirit, water, spirit, water, spirit. Water, a type of spirit. Water at Jacob's well, a type of living water. Water baptism, a type of. A type of, a type of, a type of. When it has to do with types, the substance always retires the shadow. Always, always. Matthew 3. Matthew 3. Matthew 3, 11. I indeed baptizo to immerse until you are totally taken up by something. That's what the word baptizo means. Baptizo does not mean water. Baptizo means to immerse, to submerge until you are completely swallowed up by something. Something. Can be anything in the definition of baptism now John and I said to you when we're doing this thing in church consciousness that you cannot be defining baptism and ignore the definition of the Baptists that was the one that introduced to us baptism no now if you want to talk about baptism you you start by establishing what the Baptist said. And what he said is clear. Matthew 3.11. He says, I indeed baptize you with water. What was at Jacob's well that gave no life? What was a type of the living water? I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But that is a stark departure from. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I and my water baptism. Whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He now, he will baptize you with. You see that? Mark repeats the same thing, chapter 1 and verse 8. Mark 1 and 8. It's the juicy part now. I'm done. A bit. Mark 1 8. I indeed baptized you with water, 
but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit he Luke 3:16. of this he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit whom them that believed on him will receive for Jesus had not yet been glorified Luke 3:16. John answered saying to all I indeed baptize you with water but one mightier than I is coming whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to lose he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire John 1 and 26 John 1 26 and then 33 to 31 John 1 26 John 1 26 John answered them saying I baptize with water but there stands one among you whom you do not know 31 I did not know him that one that stands among you that you don't know I did not know him but but that he should be revealed to Israel therefore I came baptizing with water so his baptism was to reveal the one that was standing among them that they did not know TPT or modern translations 31 my baptism was for the preparation of his appearing to Israel even though I've yet to experience him now how can baptism be for the forgiveness of sins when the person who is baptizing is yet to experience him Shebi is not physician heal thyself your sins have not been forgiven and you're baptizing other people for repentance of sin 32 then as John baptized Jesus he spoke these words so it's the baptizing of John Jesus baptisms were such that the Holy Spirit helped me you baptize favor nothing happened it's not Jesus baptize blessing it's not Jesus so, because God has promised me as I'm baptizing you manifest so every every day John is baptizing but he said I came to baptize to reveal him Put it back up, John, John 1 31. Baptize, okay. Heaven didn't open, nothing. God didn't say anything. Okay. Then he has not showed up yet. Yeah, keep coming, keep coming. Yeah, yeah baptize, baptize. <laughs> Give us like NLT or something. Baptize. I did not recognize him. I, I, John the Baptist, did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I've been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. 32, next verse next verse then John testified I saw the spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him 33 I did not know he was the one but when God sent me to baptize with water he told me of all the ones you are baptizing in water the one on whom you see the spirit descend and rest is the one who will so so John the Baptist, I told you, came to identify Jesus the Baptist. Such that the moment John the Baptist identifies the real Baptist, the baptism of John. the baptist with water identifies the baptist with the spirit water so day after day 
The guy is dunking people in water. God is not speaking. Please. And then people are repenting of their sins to John. It's like, that's not my problem. Me, I don't even know who this person is. <laughs> the moment he laid hands on him and baptized him, said, this is the one. He, the, the one of all these ones, the one the spirit drops upon. The spirit dropping upon him, is that's what he came to baptize with. It was John that messed up his ministry. Because as Jesus is coming at me, Bav, as Jesus is coming out of the water, I have packed my skirts. And I'm like, <laughs> so long, farewell, have we do saying, I do, I do, I do to you and you and you. I'm gone. I didn't know him. God said, I will show you. How will I show you? Stay in the shadow, stay in the shadow, stay in the shadow, stay in the shadow until the substance manifests. So keep using water, keep using water, keep using water, keep using water, keep using water until you see the one the spirit drops upon. That is the one that will now use the real substance to baptize. So Jacob built a well that had water that didn't give life. And what had typified the spirit the spirit was what was promised and jesus says you worship the father in spirit in fulfillment of the promise acts 1 4 and 5 look at this acts 1 4 and 5 and being assembled together with them jesus now commanded them jesus the baptist commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the father which he said you have heard from me next verse please who's speaking it is true that John baptized with water that's what he means by John truly Yours, maybe NLT, TPT. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be. Give us other translations. Message, TPT. You know. Message, message. John baptized in water. You'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And soon. Acts 11, 15, and 16. Acts 11, 15, and 16. When Jesus introduced God as spirit, he says water represents spirit, therefore water baptism has to represent spirit baptism. It's logical. Acts 15, 11, 15 to 16. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. The beginning being where? Acts chapter 2. Next verse. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed. So every time Jesus baptized, he baptized with the Spirit. That's why when they noticed that Jesus' disciples were baptizing more than John's disciples, open bracket, but Jesus himself baptized nobody. Jesus then got up to go to Capernaum. Because Jesus did not come to baptize with water. 
Who were the ones baptizing with water? John's ex-disciples. But he himself baptized no one. Because the only thing with which he could baptize had not yet been poured out. Talking about poured out. Can you see why? The language used for the giving of the Holy Spirit says, I will pour out. Water. Water. Poured out. On all flesh. Out of your belly flows rivers. Please sit down. Ephesians 4 5. Ephesians 4 5, he now starts to mention. And it's very interesting. He says, we'll go over from verse 4 for context. There's one body. Somebody say one body. There are no two bodies. I said that earlier. Excuse me, ma. There's one spirit. Wait, God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Son with spirit. Because if the quantity was changing of any of these elements, this is the perfect verses for Paul to start to clarify the quantities we're dealing with. One body. One spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling. He goes on and he says, One Lord. One Lord. He then says, One faith. <laughs> Auntie, one baptism. It is a very grave omission to not mention at this point two baptisms. If there were indeed two baptisms, Paul should never have boasted. Thank God I didn't baptize any of you. For God did not send me to baptize with water. You will not have made that boast. So that shows that that was an exception to fulfill all righteousness in the case of those Jews. It's the same reason for which he captured Timothy and circumcised him. Not in favor of circumcision, but so that circumcision doesn't become a stumbling block to the Jews to whom he was sending Timothy. Do you understand? Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing to us who are in Christ. Now you are uncircumcised, it is nothing. But who you are going to deal with are circumcised. And as since they are still circumcised in their case, it is something. But since for us, circumcision and uncircumcision is nothing, you might as well be circumcised because it's nothing. Does that make sense? You might as well be circumcised because it's nothing. And then that gives you access into the circumcised. To minister to them until they come to the realization that circumcision is nothing. In which case, what have you lost? That's the principle of I'm all things to all men that I might by all means save some. That's the principle of I'm rushing to Jerusalem that I might keep the feast there. It wasn't Paul observing the law. It was him taking advantage of a meeting that Jews that need the gospel will be gathered in. One baptism. So what was the promise? Water. Which is to say, the Spirit. The Spirit is the promise made to the fathers. 
The Spirit is a promise God made to the Father. So essentially, God promised them Himself. Essentially. <laughs> and that's profound. Essentially, what God promised when He promised the Holy Spirit, what God promised to give was Himself. We must be careful how we look at scripture. So when, when, when Paul will say, be careful how you handle the sheep of God, whom he purchased with his own blood. Acts 20, 28. Me, personally, I'm careful with these things. I am, I'm careful. Careful to not use language and distort what God's word says. God essentially promised us himself. Are you here? I spoke a while ago and I said the Holy Spirit is a spirit of promise in two ways. That is in Ephesians 1.13. Let's just see it. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also, having believed, you were sealed. Oh man. With the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. He's what God promised. You all too. It shall come to pass in those days. I shall pour, 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 pour out my spirit upon all flesh. It was fulfilled in Acts 2. Peter stood up and said, this is what was prophesied of the prophet Joel. Shall come to pass in these last days. Yes? Acts 2, 14 through to 17. And further down. Acts 2, 14. Put it up actually. It's, it's actually quite an interesting narrative. Acts 2, 14. But Peter standing up with the 11. 11 by this point. Including Matthias who had replaced Judas raised his voice and said to them men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem let this be known to you and heed my words for these are not drunk as you suppose since it is only the third hour of the day so if you are drunk before the third hour this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel shall come to pass in the last days Joel said it shall come to pass in those days Peter says it shall come to pass in the last days this, this, is, this is it so the Spirit is, is, is the promised Holy Spirit because he's what God promised and two, he's God's guarantee that he will fulfill what he, God, has promised. What has he promised us? The hope of glory. Immortality. Adoption. Yes? Eternal life. Men as God. <laughs> if what he promised as the Holy Spirit is himself, and he's going to make you into the substance that he is and his spirit by the time you become what as he is it's men as God that's why we can rule and reign with him men as God in Christ because Christ is the vehicle for everything God does <laughs> it's why the Holy Spirit is the seal and the guarantee, right? 2 Corinthians 1 2 Corinthians 5 5, Ephesians 4 30, Ephesians 1 14, 2 Corinthians 1 22. We have gone through this a few times. 
<laughs> who has also sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee second corinthians 5 and 5 now he who has prepared us for this very thing is god who also has given us the spirit as a guarantee you know how uh, holy spirit clarity will come because there are things that I don't honestly don't understand and I wonder if we're thinking about them at all that you believe that God is in heaven and you believe that he's in you you believe it he's in heaven and he's in you and then we, we, have, we struggle about the possibility of him sending his son to take on a body and die but he, the one spirit, can occupy heaven. Please, don't let this current wave of gospel people obliterate the existence of a place called heaven. The 24 elders and four living creatures, they're not just in your hearts. Ten thousand times, ten thousand angels. They're not coming from your heart. It's not your heart that dispatches angels. Mm. It's not your heart. There's a there's a celestial headquarters for spiritual things. There is. There is. Is that celestial headquarters for spiritual things that Satan enters every day? Not your heart. Please don't let him into your heart. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you here now yeah. so he's able to be there rule over the affairs of men from there and be in your heart this mystery which is Christ in us hope of glory now, if that is possible first of all if that is not possible you're not saved because if it's not possible it means God is either in heaven or in your heart but he's powerful enough to be omnipresent. He is. That's the power that enables him to be here and there. And that power could not have enabled him to be here and there and say, this is my beloved son. I'm just stimulating your logical reasoning. So they, they, if there's another explanation for the Trinity or God and the Son, there has to be a much more plausible explanation. Not the explanation of God being unable to be here and there as that and this at the same time. That's all I'm trying to say to you. If there's an explanation for God being distinct from the Son, or for them being one, it has to carry more weight than you saying God cannot be here and there at the same time. If God cannot be father and son at the same time, he cannot be in heaven and in your heart at the same time. Is that logical enough for us to understand? So whatever explanation you will give, it's not one that disparages God's ability to be here and there. No, you are proof right now that he can be here and there. He said, if I don't go, he will not come. Where was Jesus going? 
And that's why some people are now preaching. New Testament preachers are preaching that when Jesus ascended, he ascended into our hearts. Oh yes, renowned, renowned gospel preachers. Because it's your heart that sent him to die. Your heart sent him to pay the price. And he ascended. He ascended into our hearts. When two angels stood with these disciples on the Mount of Olives and said, this same Jesus, the same way you saw him ascend, is the same way you see him descend. No, the angels did not know what they were saying. It's not what they asked them on the Mount. They said, oh, men of Galilee. Look for it. Oh, men of Galilee. Why are you perplexed? He said, this same Jesus, the same way you saw him ascend. It's the same way you see him descend with his angels on the day of the Lord. Same way. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in the like manner as you saw him go into heaven. How clearer can it be? Put some translations up. 10 and 11. Yes, Acts 1. Verse 9. Go, go from verse 9. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. 10. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday... He will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. I explained to you, I can't remember what teaching it was, that heaven is a place, heaven is a position, heaven is a system. It's a place. We are sat in the heavenlies positionally. As a position. We operate the, the culture of the kingdom of heaven as a system in the earth. And it's a physical place. Like I said earlier, there's divine headquarters for all spiritual things in the earth. Heaven. Ascend to your heart. <laughs> so that's why I said, must be careful of scriptural cancel culture. You don't like it or it doesn't, the explanation doesn't, you move it, cancel it. We shouldn't ask you questions, you get offended. Because you're a big man of God. She don't ask you questions based on the big word of God. We may be small men of God. In fact, I've always called myself what? A boy of God. But the word of God is big. We may be small. One. Ha, ha, hallelujah. You are big in me. We may be small. But the word is big. Have we not said last week that the spirit of the prophet must be subject to the prophet? Can't teach and not allow us to evaluate it. Huh? Start to attack us. We're just evaluating scripture. Ephesians 4.30 Let me finish and let us. 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Ephesians 1.14 Who is a seal? Guaranteeing our day of redemption is a price purchase possession, right? This is why he's known as the spirit of adoption. That's the promise. That's the spirit that will quicken our mortal bodies, right? Romans 8.11 it is by this spirit you have access to the Father. The Father. The Father. The Father. Not God. Like that. The Father. That's why when Jesus was going to talk about the spirit, he introduced the Father. The spirit gives you access into, not to. Ephesians 2.18 Ephesians 2.18 Ephesians 2.18 <laughs> For through him we both Jew and Gentile have access by one spirit to the Father the trans other translations say into the Father equal access to the Father the Spirit enables us to see and deal with the Father Get acceptance with the Father. Come boldly into the Father. By one spirit. The spirit is the substance that what was the shadow. In terms of Jacob's well, in terms of Jesus' dying by the well, in terms of him being thirsty, in terms of him talking about drink, what would you do with that water if you were given? So in the context of Jacob's well, the water we're talking about is for drinking. Hmm? 1 Corinthians 12, 13. And we said the water is spirit. And we said that's why water baptism pointed to spirit baptism. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. You see what happened to that spirit when it was poured out upon us. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and consistency throughout the scriptures. That's what they leverage on. So we have been made to drink into one spirit. So every time you drink water, you're like, oh Lord, Thank you for what I've drank into that would never, I would never thirst again. It's not for somebody to now use this to do something over you. No. No. It's for it and everything else you drink to remind you of what you have drank. Once. Yeah, you, the, the bread of life is eaten once. Not communion service so as often as we're eating whatever we're eating we're just eating it to remind ourselves of what we've eaten as often as you do this do this in remembrance of me and that's the principle of everything tangible everything tangible should highlight the intangible that you will not have been able to grasp if not for that tangible element we've all been made to drink of one spirit that's first corinthians 12 and 30 12, 13. Um, I, I, we didn't see it in other translations. Let's see. NLT, TPT, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. 
Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some of us are slaves, and some of us are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. We're made to drink of the one spirit. That's what Jacob's well typified. The promise. Spirit. Flowing from us. Alomenon. So what is spirit? To worship in spirit, therefore, means to worship from the standpoint of who Jesus is in us. To worship in spirit will mean to worship from the standpoint of who Jesus is in us on account of what he has done, a.k.a. the cross. That's what it means to worship in spirit. To worship in the spirit is to worship from the standpoint of sonship. Galatians 4, 6. And because you are sons, he has sent for the spirit of his son in your heart, crying. And that's the worship that God responds to. Spirit. Philippians 3 and 3. I like this one. For we are the circumcision. We worship God in the spirit. Have no confidence in the flesh. Have no confidence in the flesh. We rejoice in Christ Jesus. So to worship in spirit is to have God's spirit in you that, 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 that retires the works of the flesh. To remove confidence in the flesh. So how we know that we have the spirit of God in us is that we lose taste for the flesh. Is everybody hearing me? Part of why we were given the spirit is to escape the flesh. Because the flesh cannot please God. So to worship God in spirit is to receive his spirit to become sons and you receive the spirit of God. Not just to seal you, guarantee you and be a deposit, but to enable you to escape the flesh and his lusts. First Timothy, first Peter, second Peter 1 and 4. Say with me, I have the Spirit of God. That Spirit of Christ. Enabling me to be a son. And that means that carnality and the flesh are mortified in my life. You know, you know what it means to mortify something? To, to, to shred it so dead that you can't identify the parts that, con that, that constituted that thing. You understand to mortify something is to you know like 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 hyena over a carcass shred it so it means to mortify the flesh part of the spirit of god in us is to enable us to escape the flesh second peter one and four by which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises that through these we may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust say i have escaped say it like you mean it because life will test it life will test. your life i wrote i wrote i wrote something here yes i did i wrote i wrote here life will always give us opportunities to gratify our flesh and its desires we must consciously convert those opportunities to victories for the spirit. 
Life will always give us opportunities to gratify our flesh and its desires. We must consciously convert, convert those opportunities to victories for the spirit. Opportunities for the flesh equal victory for the spirit. Because that's the war. That's the war. Flesh versus spirit. That's the war. And part of the most part of the important ministries of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to draw that line between us and carnality. Between us and selfish desires. Between us and the desire to sin. That's the ongoing work of the water in us. Does that make sense? Washing our desires clean until we lose absolute, we lose all the taste for desires of the flesh. In other words, we cannot perpetuate worship in spirit and not be growing out of our desire for the flesh. Does that make sense? At one point or the other, we, we, we're supposed to have been able to gain mastery over certain things that, we, that are weaknesses over us in our sanctification journey. That's part of the key ministries of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. Helps you to walk away from selfish desires. So life will give you opportunities to gratify the flesh and its desires. You will have to learn master by the Spirit of God the ability to convert those opportunities to victories for the Spirit. Because if the flesh hasn't won, the Spirit has won. If the Spirit hasn't won, the flesh has won. But sin cannot have dominion over us. It's 520, right? 620. 520. Try 520 Romans. Or 620. Sin cannot have dominion over it's six, it should be 620. 14. There it is. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law. Yes. It's under grace. Yes. And how has that come? How has that, that come about? By the Spirit of God on our inside. As the grace of God shed abroad in our hearts. It must be the dividing line between us and works of the flesh. Yes. Amen? Yes. That is true worship. That's the worship of sons. Removing us from carnality. Then we have that spirit of God inside us crying, Abba Father, that God always responds to. That's what Jesus was telling her when he says, We worship in the spirit, not in Jerusalem, not in Mount Gerizim, but in the Father, having access by the spirit who is inside of you, never to leave. That's what makes this terrifying God your loving Father. This awe-inspiring God, creator of heaven and the earth. That's what makes him your daddy. Because his DNA is in you and he can't deny it. That's his spirit. God is spirit. In you is his spirit. Crying. 
So who's calling out to God? God. And when God calls, God responds. Because only God can please himself. Yes, God is that one dimensional. He is. Only God is so self-sufficient that he's the only one that can please himself. Yes, he's totalitarian in his nature. And since he's the only one that can please himself and then he's in love with you, he sends himself into you. So then he's pleased in you by his spirit in you. So when you pray, he responds because he prayed. Because we know not how to pray. Who knows how to ought to pray? Him. Who can pray the kind of prayer that God can answer? God. We, we do not know how to pray the prayer God can answer. That's why it is unto us what? An infirmity. So now God comes in to help our infirmities by sending his spirit into us to pray the prayer that he can hear and answer. That gives us the confidence therefore when we pray that he hears. And if we know he hears, and how do we know he hears? He's the one that prayed. Will he pray and will he not hear? Because he groans in us. He prays through us. That's the confidence we have that if we pray, he hears. Because if it's his voice praying, he has to hear. His voice cannot pray what is not his mind. <laughs> so that we have confidence. Because who prayed the prayer? Who, who? See, let's raise a prayer point. Only God can raise the prayer point that God can answer. Only God. So how does he ensure that only the right things are prayed to him? He puts him in you. How does he ensure that every time you come, he can identify with he comes? He puts with who comes? He puts himself in you. So we come boldly. Why? Because God is in us. So we can come to God boldly. Because God is in us. God will respond to himself in us. How do we know that we cannot be lost? He puts himself in us. So when he comes, he will call out to himself in us. And even when we are dead, his life in us will respond. Because he cannot die. So he's in us, we will die. But he in us will not be dead when we are dead. So when he comes on the day of the Lord and calls, he who is alive in us, even though we are dead, will respond. No, spirit is big deal. The Holy Spirit in us is big deal. It's big deal. And that's the guarantee of our worship. That's the guarantee of the acceptability of our worship. And when we come, so essentially, guess what worshiping spirit is? Spirit consciousness. That's what I've been trying to tell you all day. All day. Spirit consciousness. This is who the Spirit of God is. This is who He is in me. This is what this makes me in Him. That's the paradigm of my worship. That's the flow of my worship. And that's the flow of my life because my worship is my life. 
so if i worship in the spirit then i live in the spirit and paul says walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires so all you need to come into really is spirit consciousness not sin consciousness spirit consciousness is the retiring of sin and its consciousness we don't tell you stay away from the flesh so the spirit can grow we tell you be spirit minded so the flesh can die <laughs> does that make sense so spirit consciousness you're mindful I'm Spirit of God dwells in me. I'm the temple along with you and you and you of the Holy Ghost in whom he also dwells. And that's the hope of glory. It's also my Christ advantage in the earth now. That's Holy Spirit. When you say the man in Christ cannot be disadvantaged the sponsor of that reality is the Holy Spirit the man in Christ is in Christ because Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit is in the man when you say the man in Christ you are referring to the man in whom God dwells the man in Christ that's sponsored by the presence the indwelling the residency of the Holy Spirit that means whether we live or we die, whether we sleep or we wake, we're with the Lord. Yeah. So every time you worship, you don't need to, you, you don't need to be wound. You don't need call, call to worship. Let's start small. Let's start small. Let's build it up. Okay, we just finished a, fa a, a slow song. We can't bring another fast song. Let's, let's stay in the slow lane. Says who? Do you understand know what I'm saying? Says who? The great I am, you are the great I am. And then we finish. Mm. Now finish. Now I have to look for another song that will stay in this flow. Thou art worthy, worthy. Thou art worthy. No, we can finish right here and go straight into this is the sound of the restored. Bam, bam, bam. It's spirit. Spirit does not equal psychedelic. You know, psychedelic. Psychedelic, oh, let's be in the spirit. That's not what it means. But on the contrary, do you know one of the hallmarks of being in the spirit? Drunkenness. So we, oh, we have, we have cheated ourselves for so long. The, the, and that's the contrast, the only contrast for drunkenness. Acts 2. Say, ah, they are drunk. Say, no, we're not drunk as you suppose. It's just the spirit that filled us. Then Paul tells the Ephesian church, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. The contrast. Because really, one of the hallmarks of being filled with the spirit is that you're like a drunk person. So that whole psychedelic... No, it's human piosity. Paul calls it in Colossians 2, false humility. Because we can flow right now and be crying. And as we are crying, we, you see us laughing with tears on our face. And we have jumped into, you're doing it all again. And you're like, ah, these people, they are crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Say, ah, these people, they are not, they, 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 they just, they cannot stay down. Who defines down and up? And men of the Spirit, 
We worship in the spirit. We flow freely. We have no confidence in the flesh. We're not trusting as the music that will move us. No, we will move the music or, sh or shut it down and keep moving. <laughs> worship in the spirit. We move the movie. The music refuses to move. We leave the music. And we move. When the music is ready, you catch up. We are too drunk in the spirit to be bound by music, rhythm, groove, tempo, melody, harmony. No. We worship in the spirit. In the spirit. Because we are men now of the spirit. We are sons of the spirit. The spirit of his son dwells in us. That's the one that cries every time you sing. This is Jesus singing through you. Hebrews 2. Is it 2 somewhere? Put it up. Somewhere to in Hebrews 2. So that's why he declares, in the midst of the assembly, in the midst of my brethren, I will declare your praise, O God. Every time, just like every time you pray, is the Spirit of God praying through you. Every time you sing, it is the Spirit of Jesus singing through you. 12. Saying, go back to 11. It was 11. Hebrews 2, 11. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he, Jesus, it's not a shame to call them us brethren and he says Jesus saying I Jesus will declare your name God to my brethren us in the midst of the assembly ecclesia I Jesus will sing praise to you God so when we sing who's singing who's declaring the praises of God that's what, that's what it means to worship in spirit the spirit of the son that one that spirit of prophecy the testimony of Jesus so there cannot be a time when we're not in the mood of worship no, we worship in the spirit if in him we live Acts 17 28 somewhere there for in him we live and in him we move and in him we have our being as also some of your own poets have said for we are also offspring in him we live so if we live in him then we cannot worship outside him if we move in him it means wherever we moved we moved in him where we were where we left where we ended up all in him so you don't go to church to be in the mood of worship you leave your house and you travel as the mode of worship perpetually 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 because we worship in the spirit in the spirit next week we'll look at worship in truth oh yeah we're not done <laughs> we'll take worship in truth break it down when Jesus said you must hear that was worship a father must worship a father in spirit and in truth for the father seeketh the father came to seek those that would enter this so we must know what we have entered mm -hmm. we must and unpack all the types and shadows in the scripture and bring clarity yeah. bring clarity so anytime you're worshipping there's, there's an authority that undergirds your worship your lifestyle your, your praying your giving your fellowshipping your being with believers you know that there's no time you are outside the spirit your if you enter spirit consciousness that's the last time flesh will succeed in your life 
you enter sweet consciousness you can detect a foul conversation from miles away you can tell this conversation is not no, no, no. you can tell when to shut it down when to escape when to flee yes there are times in you flee every appearance of evil there are times you stand there and resist the devil <laughs> there are times oh, there are times there are times you're, you're, the appearance you're not even the evil the appearance it, uh, evil that looks like it looks like a shadow you flee that's when you stand and say i, I can do this oh so you know i hear that is it means greater okay <laughs> okay all right and there are times where you would literally resist the devil yes, and they flee so you know when to rebuke a conversation yes, you know when to excuse yourself and just go you know when to, you're reading something you know you, you tell yourself you know what nah, i've read enough shut it down you're with someone you're in a compromised position you can tell you don't need anybody to tell you you can tell you adjust your posture or excuse yourself or de-escalate the situation and learn valuable lessons because you're spirit conscious you won't walk in strife or resentment because you're spirit conscious you won't undermine or talk down on a believer or lift your nose at them and treat them like they mean nothing to you because you're spirit conscious that is worship reasonable act of service remember worship latrio romans 12 right one yes romans 12 one i beseech you therefore in view of the mercies of god i present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to god which is your reasonable service reasonable service is the word latrio that's the word for service which is also translated worship so some other translations would, would translate this which is your act of worship find some of those translations because it's the word the greek word latrio which is one of the words for worship in addition to proskunio. Yeah, proskunio will mean worship as a dog licks the hand of its master and pays obeisance to it and pays allegiance to it. That's proskunio. That's the word translated worship. Latrio is another word translated worship, but it's in terms of service, giving service to waiting on. Does that make sense? The way a waiter would wait on someone. In a restaurant, you give you a towel to wipe your hands and give you the spoon and give you the fork. That, so there. That's the word latrio in the Greek, also translated worship, so it's contextual. So that's the word used here now for worship, latrio, not prosponio. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, dedicating all of yourselves, set apart, as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, intelligent act worship that's latrio service does that make sense now that's why it's service worship in spirit is service in spirit what do we do in service we serve the saints god hasn't called us to serve him so much as he has called us to serve each other he served us so that we will serve each other not necessarily so that we will serve him our service to him is in our service to one another that's why the word ministry comes from the word diakonia, which is service, one who serves, diakonos. One message, different names, different concepts, same message. Serve one another. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. I'm a son of God. I'm brought to the precious blood of Jesus. 
and inside me inside me is the spirit of God himself the spirit of Christ Jesus that spirit gives me access into the father grants me passage into the most holy place no matter where I am in my life and so I'm aware I'm conscious that by virtue of the workings of the Spirit of God on my inside I rise above the flesh I rise above carnality the Spirit of God on my inside cries out in worship to the Father and therefore I have assurance that whether in worship in prayer in thought or in speech should I be declaring anything because it is coming from the Spirit of God it is guaranteed the ears of God so I have assurance I have confidence whenever I pray whenever I declare whenever I worship whenever I sing whenever I make an utterance it is backed by the validity of heaven I am a son of God the Spirit of God dwells on my inside and so I have the guarantee of eternal life I'm a son of God I worship in the Spirit that means I operate above the realm of demonic activity principalities and powers rulers of darkness of this age are literally beneath my feet I sit above them in the heavenlies together with Christ Jesus my status is guaranteed that's why angels serve me my eternity is guaranteed by this same Spirit of God given to me as a seal and as a deposit therefore I declare I cannot be disadvantaged therefore I declare I cannot be shortchanged therefore I declare I cannot be cheated therefore I declare I cannot be sabotaged my place is reserved for me in the entire scheme of things of this life I don't struggle to find my place I don't struggle to get heard I don't struggle to make my mark I don't struggle to succeed because he that has moved into me <laughs> he that lives in me is greater than he that is in the world I know not everyone believes it but everyone who believes it open your mouth and give God thanks and praise worship in the spirit in the spirit no confidence in the flesh 
And we thank you, Father. Come on, give God praise in here. <laughs> oh, thank you, Father. Well, that's it for today's teaching. We trust it has been worth your time. For more of these messages from our stables, kindly subscribe to our teaching podcast at www.thebasileacommission.podbean.com or via the Podbean app on your mobile device. For inquiries and further information, kindly send us an email to info at thebasileacommission.org or find us on social media with the handles at the truth simply put or at while the church. You can also send us an SMS, call us, or connect with us via WhatsApp on plus 234-70-881-8864. Finally, if you would like to give to support the work that we do, kindly follow the Patreon link in our podcast or contact our office for details. Thank you.